from Moses uh, that are off in our distant future. Uh, this next Sunday morning, Jessica and I and the boys will be gone. Uh, we're going to go out of town for a week. We'll be back from, we'll go from Monday to Monday. And so Zach is going to be preaching next Sunday morning. Edward will be preaching on Sunday evening. When we come back together, and I'm back here on the 22nd, uh, we are going to look at God delivering Moses through great partnerships. We're going to look at uh, jo- uh, excuse me, uh, Joshua, and we're going to look at uh, Jethro, and we're going to look at the son of Jephunneh. Uh, right, I had to get it alliterated, so that's how we've got it. Uh, that's Caleb, in case you wondered. I could not figure out how to make Caleb into a J, other than stretching the letter a little bit. But he's the son of Jephunneh, so that will work for us. Uh, in three weeks, we have our missions conference. Brother uh, Russ Turner, missionary to Central America, will be with us preaching on that Sunday morning. But the following Sunday in November, we're looking at deliverance from our greatest peril. But this morning, I want us to look at Moses and the deliverance that he has and that he provides from people that hurt us, from grievous people. That's a good word, isn't it? Grievous. Oh, how terrible. But they aren't terrible people. They're just people that hurt you. That's what we're going to look at today. In fact, the people that we're going to look at today are his brother and his sister, There's a lot of context and a lot of help for us as we consider Moses and his walk with God. But in this instance of how he helped his brother and his sister, oh, there's great truth for the church in that. There are going to be times in life where those closest to us will hurt us the most. And Moses gives us a great picture into both of them in their own problems and in their own unique way. Well, let's read one passage here in the prophet Micah. He's talking about... And to Israel, warning them from God about their fall and their demise and the judgment that comes. But he asks a very good question in verse number three. Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? What I do to you? Why don't you trust me? (laughs) Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. You tell me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants or bondage, servanthood. And I sent before thee, what are the names? Give them to me. Moses. There they are. I mean, God said, I redeemed you. I saved you. I brought you out of Egypt. And I used those three people. So it tells us in our text this morning that these three are important people, that these three are instrumental to God's work. So it tells us that they're not, they're not unnecessary people. What you're going to hear preached this morning is not that these people need to be thrown out of your life, but in the process of life, we need to learn how to handle the hurts that come our way. Father, help us this morning as we now turn our attention to the Word of God, in particular, Moses' walk with you. I pray this morning that as we examine Aaron and Miriam, that these two would teach us the problems that it can arise in the church, and we might be those problems. And may we also see how Moses intervenes and intercedes on behalf of both of them in unique ways, but his involvement helps them to become established and to move forward past their failure. Bless us, I pray this morning, Lord, as we look at these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want you to understand with me that sometimes you're going to get hurt. As a pastor of a church now for 15 years, having planted bluegrass and grown it, I can tell you that there's times that good people will hurt you, whether they mean to or not. And there's going to be times even a pastor might hurt you. And so these studies this morning will help us to understand how we can be delivered from those that grieve our very soul. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, as we come to Exodus 32, and you may turn there now in your Bible, because that's the first text that we will begin at. As we come to Exodus chapter 32, the next step in the walk of Moses in the Exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land, we find that all three of these individuals are in their 80s. How many 80-year-olds do we have in here this morning? A couple of you raising your hand. Good. In the early church service, there was a couple more, a few more, since most of them come to the early church service. But the point is, is that, yeah, there's a lot. And sometimes when we read these stories, we think, well, they must have been in their 40s. 
They must have been in their 30s or in their 20s. These are 80-year-olds that have problems with each other. Amram and Jochebed are their parents. 1 Chronicles 6 and verse 1 through 3 tells us that these are their three children. Miriam, Aaron, and Moses in that order. The book of Numbers in chapter 33 and verse 39 tells us that Aaron dies at the age of 123. And in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 6, six months later, we find that Moses dies at the age of 120. So there was about 40 months difference between Aaron and Moses in their life. Now, if we have been very astute in our studies so far, we know that Moses was drawn up out of the water. That's literally his name. And that his sister, his oldest sister, older than him as well, sister, is there on the shore to tell Pharaoh's daughter, hey, I know somebody that can nurse this baby for you. That tells us that she's at least six to nine years years older than Moses. It's not as if she was between Aaron and Moses. Miriam then is the oldest sister. There's a great study, if we wanted to make it, I'm sure, of birth order. How many have ever read the birth order book? Jessica and I, with three boys, have read the birth order book to make sure we're right and how we're raising our kids from the Word of God. How many oldest do we have in here? Raise it high. Come on. We babies, in just a few minutes, are really going to raise our hands high because it's great to be the baby of the family. Trust me. I know, okay? You oldest are Miriam. Now, that doesn't mean you are Miriam. I'm saying in the context of this family, you're the oldest. With being the oldest, there comes some responsibility. I mean, you're somebody. You're the oldest. Now, I'm married to an oldest, and I'm glad that the oldest usually have life put together. We babies usually just shoot from the hip. We just go at life and figure it out as we go along. Now, how many middles do we have in here? Raise your hand. All right, the middles are all calculating whether they should raise their hand or not. All right, you are Aaron. And what I mean is, don't get mad at me in just a few minutes when I preach through these points and say, wait a second, are you saying I'm everything Aaron is? No, I'm saying in the birth order, you're Aaron. Now, how many of us babies are there? Come on, put two hands up. You know you want to, right? Right. We are the babies. It is great to be the baby. I mean, it is wonderful. Now, put your hands down. How many of you are onlys? One, two, three, four. Great. In the early hour, Brother Long gave me the look because he's an only, and I had to realize, oh, <laughs> I need to ask. You know, when an 85-year-old looks at you, you have to listen, right? And, and so, oh, how many onlys? Because you are the oldest, you are the middle, and you are the baby. you got the best of all worlds. When we come to these characters, we find that it is Miriam and Aaron who seemingly grieve the heart of Moses as a leader the most. In the instances that we will read in Exodus 32, Leviticus 10, and Numbers 12, these are not strangers. These are not people unknown in the camp. These are people that are very important to Moses, and they hurt him. And some of the actions that he has to take in correcting them are very hard for him to engage in. This is often the case in the family of God, is it not? Those that we allow closest to us, will fail us or they'll hurt us or harm us in some way. And it hurts. It deeply wounds us. As Micah tells us, God used all three of these people to lead the children of Israel out. Just as a time reference, let me put a little stamp on it here, because when we study the Bible, I want to make sure you always understand what we're studying. From Exodus chapter 32 that we'll begin our reading in context for this morning in the preaching to Numbers chapter 12 is not something like 10 years or 15 years or 30 years. It's about two years, maybe 18 months. In other words, it's a very short window. So what we're dealing with happens over the span in Exodus 32, Leviticus 10 to Numbers 12 in a very short window of time. It seems that certain issues were cropping up, and and so it's very relevant to study them together because it was Moses who had to work through these problems to help these individuals, these loved ones, but also to help the whole of the congregation. In their person, Aaron and Miriam represent the two main reasons churches have problems today and why we grieve the Holy Spirit 
and how ultimately we, like Moses, must respond to them unless we find ourselves as either an Aaron or a Miriam this morning. Now, I am going to say this one last thing before we jump into the meat of the preaching, and that is this. You are going to learn two new words this morning. Even in the early church, the wordniks were impressed with the words that I had to come up with. I mean, that I was able to come up with in this. All right? We begin our notes this morning with pusillanimous Aaron. You're welcome. Next time you're playing Scrabble, you're welcome. Do you know what pusillanimous means? It means cowardly. It means timid. It means weak and fearful. And you say, Aaron's a high priest. Yes, Aaron is the high priest. But Aaron struggles mightily in the two instances, particularly that we will study, with the leadership that is necessary or was needed from him in those moments. Aaron was greatly used by God, yes, but he never reached what his potential could have been. And he ultimately damaged severely his sons by being a man who lacked the courage to lead and make choices that were sure and firm in following Almighty God. Aaron was weak-minded and he was cowardly at seasons in his faith. It is ironic that Moses' halting doubt that God could use him in Exodus 2 and 3 brought Aaron into shared leadership with Moses. By the way, choices always have consequences. Be careful when you doubt God and others have to then join in the leadership. You have ceded that leadership to them because you doubted God. Some of these issues that he's dealing with are because Moses himself brought Aaron into leadership. It is also of note that it is, Aaron's, it is in Aaron's son that the Levitical line of the high priest would come, not Moses. By the way, God still always knows what he's doing because it was always the firstborn as the son of Aaron. And Aaron was the firstborn son to Amram and Jochebed. That's where the lineage of the high priest would come from. Despite that distinction, the man Aaron was a weak-willed man. God never specifically called Aaron. He called Moses to lead his children out of Israel, or out of Egypt, excuse me. The Aaronic priesthood is not the order to which Christ is assigned in the book of Hebrews. It is the order of Melchizedek through which Jesus Christ is a high priest. He was from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. In fact, the book of Leviticus is a very robust book of how the priests ought to behave themselves because they, within their family, struggled with doing those things. There would be great high priests through Israel's history, but there was also some really rotten stinkers as well. Aaron himself was not strong. His character ultimately would cause Moses grief in two instances. Here in Exodus 32, we find that his timidity ruined his worship, letter A. Look with me in chapter 32, begin reading in verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is becoming. We, we don't know what's happened to this guy. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in thine ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods. I believe the statement, they, here is Aaron and his sons, Aaron and the priests, Aaron and the Levites that are there. These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The passage is clear. Aaron did not know what to do. So instead of leading with conviction, he followed as a coward, a sure sign of weakness. The Bible says that Aaron told them to bring their gold, that Aaron crafted the image, and that Aaron built the altar. He was so afraid to stand out from the crowd and what the masses wanted that he went full tilt the other way. Do you know what that phrase full tilt means? Most of us think it applies to poker or to something in the gambling world. In the old days of the nights when they would come down the lane with their lances out and they would begin to jab at each other as they were running that gamut, 
One or two might come down halting, but the guy that was convinced that he was going to win the joust, he came down as it was called full tilt. In other words, when it came to leading for God, (laughs) he was a coward. But when it came to running from God, he was all in. Not a problem. I I can do it. Let's uh, bring your earrings down. Let's go ahead and throw them in the fire. Let's go ahead and make this up. In fact, when we're done, let's build an altar to the whole thing. His cowardice ruined Israel's worship of a holy God. By the way, what happens here is what many churches today do in their worship of God. They corrupt the coming into His presence. They take away the primacy of the Word of God and they put the focus on making everybody feel good and entertaining them. May I say to you, if you're only worried about entertaining someone, you have missed the point of worship altogether. You've missed what it's all about. Worship of God is different than the world's Friday night party scene. Aaron's weakness is very much on display when Moses arrives in the camp. If you look down in chapter 32, you will see in verse, or chapter 32, in verse 22, he begins with three excuses. And I think I put them there in your notes. They're wonderful to understand. But these are his three excuses. In verse 22, and Aaron said, Moses has come down hot. In fact, Joshua has come down even hotter than Moses. He said, man, they sound like they're going to war. We're going to look at that when we get to the walk, Joshua's walk with God here in a couple months. Man, they sound like they're going to war, Moses. And Moses says, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Let's get down there. And once he sees what it is, the Bible says he throws down the Ten Commandments, those two tablets, and they break. He's so angry. He's so indignant. He's so frustrated at the fact of how quickly Aaron would leave. And Aaron said, verse 22, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people. They are, they're set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me that I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Here's the three excuses. Here they are. By the way, every weak-minded Christian, every weak-minded husband, every weak-minded father, every weak-minded pastor, every weak-minded deacon, every weak-minded soul that follows God but doesn't really want to stand out in the crowd or live their holiness follows this same pattern of Aaron. Here's how they make their excuse. Hey, listen, the people around me, they're depraved. Can I tell you something? The people around you are depraved, both in this room and out of this room. But by the grace of God, Paul says, there go I. We could all fall into any sin at any time if we don't keep our own guard and our own diligence to follow God. But to say, I can't follow you because they don't want to follow you is a bad excuse. He said, hey, these people, you know, they're set on mission. What am I going to do, Mo? I mean, seriously, what am I going to do? What is the second excuse? He says, hey, you took too long. It wasn't just their depravity, it was his delay. Where were you? I mean, I would have been okay if you'd only been gone for like a day or a week or or a month, but it was 40 days you were up on that mountain. What is wrong? Where were you, man? You had a job to do. Why'd you leave it to me? That is a sign of weakness, and it's an excuse. The third excuse he gives is that the furnace delivered a calf. How amazing is that? We all laugh at that one. When the kids hear it in the children's church or in the Sunday school, they all laugh like, that can't happen. We all say, that can't happen. But yet we find ourselves sometimes in our times of weakness and saying, how did that happen? Well, I don't know. Let's make up something crazy. We all have the same crazy excuses. God doesn't buy your lame excuses just like we don't buy these excuses from Aaron. Excuses for our flesh... And our cowardice is a sure sign that our worship is fruitless. Aaron's response when the people came demanding that he lead without Moses should have been what? No. We're going to wait. We're tired of waiting. I don't care. But in weakness, he ruined his own walk and his worship with God. His weakness was exposed in that he could not say no to people. God's grace spared Aaron and the whole congregation, but it didn't come without a price. We'll see later 
the whole of the congregation is given a challenge and a charge from Moses. But some don't respond, and those are the ones that God weeds out. Sometimes God will weed out of a congregation, whether it be a society, a country, a culture, or a church, and sometimes even a family. He will weed out those that do not need to be there. It's not for Moses to decide, and it's not for us to decide. It's for God to lead, for God to direct. His timidity, Aaron's, ruined his worship, but it also, let her be, wrecked his witness. Now, if you'll go over with me to Leviticus chapter 10, you will see in the months that followed this, there is a giving of the rites and rituals, the order of the priesthood and what they should be doing. We come to Leviticus chapter 10, and it's a very interesting kind of drop-in passage because the tabernacle and all of the congregation is being done, and there's, there's going to be work that is the priests actually begin their ministry in earnest in chapter 9. But in chapter 10, there's an interesting story, and it reads this way, beginning in verse number 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censers and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered what? strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is that the Lord spake. In other words, God warned us about this. He's just told us on the mountain, and he's told us here, don't do that. By the way, in your Bible, you can write next to that Exodus chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. This is that that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And what did Aaron do? He held his peace. A believer's walk with God is most evident in the life of their children, those who know them best. Now, it's not a perfect picture, but it's generally pretty reflective of the things that you allow or have allowed and the things you actually believe, mom and dad. We find Aaron's testimony is absolutely destroyed through his leadership style at home. As evidenced of what he did in Exodus 32, his boys, maturing, growing, and learning from him, understand this is how dad acts, this is how we can act. Nadab and Abihu had been on the holy mount, according to Exodus 24, verses 1 and 2. They had heard the words of the law. They knew what God required of his priests. So their sin was not here a sin of ignorance. It was a sin of arrogance because they followed in the weak pattern of their own father. In fact, the word strange that is used here literally is the word unauthorized. It was unauthorized fire or offering given to God. Exodus 30, verse 8 and 9, saying, When Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange, unauthorized incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering. Neither shall you pour your drink offering thereon. These sons, in their enthusiasm of the beginning of this priestly ministry, thought, we're just going to change it and change it into our own way of thinking. And God said, no, you will not. The weakness of their father infected the hearts of these boys. The two sons of Aaron had devised a new ceremony for worshiping, and God did not accept it. They were not high priest. It was not the Day of Atonement, and they did not burn incense on the golden altar. These boys lost their lives because their dad had lost his witness before them. His testimony was one of weakness, and they stepped into the void with their own ideas. May I submit to you, fathers in our church this morning, if you will not lead your home, if you will not teach your children the right and righteous things of God, you will pay for it. Not because I want you to, not because I wish it is true, but because I'm warning you that this is the facts that are true. This is how it works. How many Christian kids are ruined because their fathers are weak, timid, and cowardly in their walk with God? You cannot expect, parents, the church to teach your kids right from wrong. Now, that's not saying we don't want to. Or that we don't spend time doing it. They're in the back right now in children's church and super church teaching young people. Tonight in the Sunday school time, we'll be teaching young people as we teach the adults. But the point is, you cannot say, well, I don't have a responsibility in this. It's the church's job to make my kid turn out right. Never will happen. 
These boys spent all their time around the tabernacle. They knew the things of God, but they still needed their dad to lead. Aaron demonstrates a weakness. These instances show that character flaw. His boys watched their dad lead false worship to an image that he had made out of fear for the will of the people. Then they chose to worship God their own way, just as their dad had done. Timidity and weak-mindedness in our Christianity leads to the ruin of our worship and the wrecking of our witness. But finally, Moses comes in. Again, this message series is about Moses. And I realize I've sidetracked in the first main point here to Aaron. But you got to know Aaron's problem to see Moses and God's solution. It brings us letter C, truth restored his walk. What set him back on a right path? What gave him hope and help? In each of Aaron's failures, it was the strength of Moses and his faith in God to share the truth to Aaron, whatever that truth may be. Moses didn't uh, equivocate. Moses didn't kind of dance around the subject. While Aaron may have been the one of cowardice and timidity, while Aaron was the one that was malleable in the face of opposition, Moses was resolute. He was set like a flint, like the prophet of old was also called. What that teaches us is that weak men need strong men in their lives to help them recognize their weakness. Paul says it this way to the Corinthians as he's giving a sign-off to the letter in his first writing. Watch ye, he says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit or act like men. Be strong, let all your things be done with charity. Paul admonishes here to be aware, that is watch. To be firm, men, to stand fast. To be empowered or be strong. And everything that we do is guided by and guarded in the love of Almighty God, agape, charity. This is Moses with Aaron. He lovingly restores Aaron. Oh, by the way, sometimes our loving speech has to be seasoned with salt. And that salt, when it goes into the wound of error, it burns. It sounds harsh. It may be hurtful in the moment to that person's emotions. Look back here in Exodus, or if you'll turn back, excuse me, let's see the correction in Exodus. We will come back to Leviticus 10. We're going to bounce between these two just one more time here this morning. In Exodus 32 and in verse 20. When Aaron says in verse 22 that Moses was running hot, he was speaking accurately. (laughs) Here's Moses running hot in verse number 20. And he, that's Moses, took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder. The word ground literally means he took it to a gristmill and made it fine powder. He just crushed it. Stop for a moment and think, how long would that take? I mean, the word ground here is not idly used. It's not like Moses shows up and in the morning he shows up, he says, all right, melt that thing, let's pound it out. It's going to take a long time by hand. In that environment, in that setting, the Bible says he goes on to straw it or spread it across the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. In verse 21, and Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto thee? In other words, what pressure did they put on you? What box did they put it? I mean, did they threaten to string you up? Did did they threaten to take you out? What was it that they threatened you with? And, And what he's doing in this question is he's asking Aaron to look inside himself and find what the weak point was and change it. What was it that they did to you? Well, they, they were mean. They, they pressured me. Well, maybe it was, well, they promised me that I could lead them. Whatever that weakness, however that was manifesting, and by the way, it may be different in your own life. Why is it that we don't stand firm or resolute in the things of God as we walk with God? Moses says, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? By the way, When it was happening, did Aaron think it was so great a sin? No, that's part of the weakness. He didn't know what was wrong from what was right. Look in verse 25 as we continue reading. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, by the way, you see that parenthetical statement? It's not the main point, but it's an additional point that we must understand. Aaron in his weakness was also vindictive. All right, you people are going to make me do this? Guess what? I'm going to make up the rules. Hey, everybody, run around naked. They're exposed. 
Who told him to do that? Well, the Bible tells us who told him to do that. For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. By the way, weak individuals are usually very vindictive individuals. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, here's strength. Who is on the Lord's side? Now, I wonder if there was like a stampeding sound heading towards that tabernacle. (laughs) I'm going to be over there. The next verses, if you were to continue reading, says that Moses tells the Levites. And by the way, all of the Levites, that's all of the brothers and the sons uh, that were um, with Moses and Aaron, that same family, all of them run to and are ready to take on those who had sinned. Well, man, just 20 minutes earlier, 20 days earlier, they were all engaged in the same sin. But now a strong leader had come and said, thus saith the Lord, what are you going to do? Why are you going to act in the way you're going to act? And they came, but some didn't. Those that stayed in the doors of their tents, Moses effectively says, if you continue reading at the end of chapter 32, all right, fellas, get your swords and let's go cut them down with our swords. I don't want to over-spiritualize text. I have to be careful. But in our day, we're not going to go out and kill the others that are against us. But it's the word of God, the sword of the Lord, the sword of the word of God that will help defend us and make us stand. It is clear from the golden calf then that Moses' strength is what delivered Aaron from ruined worship. But there was a price for that restoration in Aaron's weakness. Aaron had to admit his mistakes, no more excuses, and he had to publicly address his failure. Every time someone in the tent door fell, Aaron knew in his heart of hearts, I caused that. Be careful if in your own personal weakness you lash out at others or you attack others because in doing so you may be corrupting still yet more. Be very careful. We live in an age, especially in independent Baptist circles, where people like to take pot shots at everybody for no reason. Be careful. It's not a healthy way to live. It's not a biblical way to live at all. Moses crushed the idol and made the people drink the residue. It's a pretty emphatic display of right versus wrong. You thought that was right. Now you're drinking in your gods. Good luck. (laughs) Pretty clear sign it wasn't a god. In the strange fire instance, it shows not the price for restoration, but it shows the process for restoration. In Leviticus chapter 10, Moses goes on to tell Aaron, don't cover your head. Don't leave the sanctified state that God has put you in. You're here in the ministry of the tabernacle. You're here in the holy place. You stay here. Let the dead bury the dead. Essentially, what we find back in Leviticus chapter 10 is that Moses tells Aaron, there's nothing you can do to change their deaths, but you can start doing right before the eyes of the rest of your family here and now. Go to Leviticus 10 and read that with me in verse number 6. Imagine your sons have just died. I have three boys. Seems like Aaron had four. I can't imagine that my weak testimony would lead my boys to a place where they would corrupt worship of Almighty God and that if it led to that, what it would feel like, the impact and the depth of damage to my own personal soul when I watched two of them die and yet Moses in his strength says to Aaron, that's done. You can't change the past. There's sometimes, if I may step out for a moment from preaching this sermon and making a side note as your pastor, there's sometimes that folks will come to me as pastor and say, I wish I could change the way of the past. Or I wish I could change. You can't. All you can do is if you failed in raising children is address it now by saying, please forgive me. I understand the word of God and the way of God, the work of God, the will of God, whatever error you've made, address it, ask for forgiveness and move on. But will it make everything better? I don't think so. I don't know. It may. Honesty always starts the process of healing and integrity. But here, Aaron is told this very thing in verse 6. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar, that's the next oldest boy in verse 6, and unto Ithmar, his sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die. You're going to join them. And lest wrath come upon all, all, upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. In other words, let them learn the lesson that you should have known. 
Verse 7, And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. Live the testimony you're supposed to live. They did according to the word of Moses. Down in verse number 16, we continue reading this. And Moses, amongst giving some more instruction, Moses then goes out to find the scapegoat. And Moses diligently sought the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burnt. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, which were left alive, saying, Wherefore have ye not eaten the sin offering in the holy place? That was their required duty, according to the book of Leviticus. Seeing it is most holy. In other words, this sacrifice is divinely appointed. And God hath given it for you to bear the iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Each step was precise and needed to be done. Behold, the blood of it was not brought in within the holy place. Ye should indeed have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. Notice Aaron's response. This is where the strength of Moses, the confrontational strength of Moses to help elevate him to be the kind of man that he should be is finally brought to its fullest. And you say, it doesn't sound like it. Trust me, it is. Because Aaron finally gets just how holy God is. He gets just how important worship is because he doesn't eat of it. If he does, he would have died that quick. As quick as you can blink, he would have right out of this world. Here's what the Bible says in verse 19. And Aaron said unto Moses, Behold, this day have they offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. The realization is set in for the errors he's made. And if I had eaten the sin offering today, should it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? He said, I'm the high priest. I can't have sin in my life. If I had eaten that, what would have happened to me, Mo? (laughs) Aaron, you would have died. He finally understood what it meant to truly worship God. There was truth in his life, and the truth is what made him free. Notice what the Bible says of Moses. And and when Moses heard that, he was what? Content. You understand. Sometimes as a leader, sometimes as a pastor, it's not always fun to confront sin in the lives of others. But it's what you're called to do. I hope I don't come in kicking down doors. But if you've come to me and we sit down and we talk about the word of God, understand that my responsibility before a holy God is to just give you the truth. I have to. It is the one thing that I've been given to the church to do is to deliver truth and warnings to you and commendations. It's not just all condemnations, but there's commendations as well. But for Aaron, Moses needed to come into his life and say, here's your deliverance. You've got to come back and live the truth. That will restore your walk with God because you have ruined your worship and you have wrecked your testimony. But there is a way forward. By the way, Eleazar is a wonderful high priest as you study him going with Joshua and into the land. He's a wonderful high priest. Why? He learned the lesson. When you get to see it lived before you, you pretty quickly understand, well, this is important. All right, let's move on. I told you these were, this was a word next day. Pusillanimous Aaron. Leads us to peaked Miriam. What a great word. Some of you say, well, you've piqued my interest. That's the wrong use of it. The word peak as a verb means to affect with sharp irritation and resentment, especially by someone who has wounded you or has wounded your pride. As a noun, it is a feeling of irritation as from a wound to my self-worth and my self-esteem. And this is Miriam. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 12. We'll spend about five, ten minutes in here and we'll be done. The Bible says in chapter 12, again, I remind you, it's less than 24 months away from what we've just read in both Exodus 32 and in Leviticus chapter 10. Moses is dealing with two people who are causing him grief. And this is the second one. People that he loves, people that he longs to be with, that he enjoys being around, people that are his kin. But they are grieving him. The Bible says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. Right? I like to read it in that kind of very aristocratic sounding voice. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. She's not a Jew. Listen, Moses was never married to a Jew. 
His father-in-law, Jethro, was from Midian. This seems, if it's his second wife, is not a Jew either. And it didn't seem to be a problem for God. But boy, it was a problem for Miriam. She had big sister complex. As the baby brother with a big sister, I can relate. My mom's smiling. My sister in Virginia is not. But the point is, here's what they said in verse 2. Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. In my Bible, by the way, right after that in my sentence, I put, "Uh uh-oh. It's a good thing to write. And you say, I don't know if I want to write that my Bible. Trust me, every time you read it, you will realize it's an uh uh-oh moment. Now, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible is a parenthesis in verse 3. Moses was told by God to write that he was the meekest man that ever lived, or at least the meekest man alive at that point. That's an amazing thought. Verse 4, And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aram and Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. In other words, vaguely. The Old Testament prophets often would give us snippets of prophecy, and we wish they would get more. And by the way, they wish they would get more. This is what God is saying. But notice what he goes on to say. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently or openly, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord, or the likeness of the Lord, shall he behold. Wherefore, then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beg you, brother, lay not the sin upon us wherein we have done foolishly and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O Lord, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, this is an interesting verse. This shows you the context that God has. He's very aware. If a daughter had disowned her family and rebelled and had brought dishonor upon them, this was what was supposed to happen in verse number 14. And God says this, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after, after that, let her be received in again. I can't imagine having two siblings, two people so close to me, that would cause me so much grief in trying to lead two million people according to God's word and will. Aaron had a forefront position like Moses, but Miriam the oldest was relegated to being known simply as Moses' big sister. Her weakness here is of pride in two things. Number one, not being a man. (laughs) I mean, if she was the oldest son, she would say, well, (laughs) I should get some stuff that Aaron gets, right? And Aaron would have been X'd out. But she has a problem of not being a man. Guess what? That's never going to change. Even in modern science, it's not going to change. Second problem was this. She wasn't important enough. Oh, be careful. Moses' rightly use of the word piqued Miriam through no fault of his own other than being God's chosen. Miriam's thoughts towards Moses were these. Moses, you're wrong. I know that you are wrong. I'm going to go out and tell everyone that you're wrong so that they will see just how wrong you are. Plus, who do you think you are anyway? You're not that special. You'd be nothing if I wasn't there on that riverside so long ago. These are all in the heart of this woman, Mary. I am important. Who do you think you are? And Moses says, nothing. Nothing. In our notes, quickly, we first find that Miriam envies Moses' position. 
In verse 2, hath the Lord indeed spoken only or exclusively by Moses? And the answer from God apparently was, yeah. The apparent cause of the argument was an Ethiopian wife. But the true cause was her jealousy over Moses' leadership. Moses proved his humility by refusing to fight. Can I tell you? It is hard sometimes trying to do the work of God. It is harder if people start saying to you or to me or to others, who does that person think they are? Or who gave them the authority? Or who died and made them God? If there is a person in your life, whether it be a mom or a dad, teenagers, whether it be a husband to the wives, oh, I don't like hearing that in the modern age. He is your protection. He is your covering, as the Bible says. Whether it be a president or a governor or a mayor or a pastor or a deacon in a church, if there is a spiritual authority in your life, be very careful before you start tearing them down. Be very careful. God does not take kindly to you killing, skewering, and consuming the reputation and character of that spiritual authority in your life. Moses is a wonderful example. He leaves the cause in the hands of God because God has always promised to defend his servants. Miriam wonders aloud, who does this guy think he is? She was, reject, she was rejecting Moses' leadership, but more importantly, she was refusing God's authority. That's a bad idea. The Bible tells us in verse 4 that the Lord showed up suddenly, and when the Lord shows up somewhere suddenly, you better watch out. God makes clear that He is the one who sets leaders in their positions. And be careful when you attack those whom God has set as an authority in your life, whomever they may be. Letter B, we find this woman in her pride and her problem elevates her person. Hath not God spoken by us as well? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? There's more than one leader in this congregation. That's a bad recipe in a home, in a church, and in a culture or a country. Well, who put that guy in the Oval Office? God did. When we elevate our person above the authorities that God has established, we're in trouble. It is technically true that God had spoken through Miriam in Exodus 15. She sang two lines of a refrain echoing Moses' already sung song in Exodus 15. God never called Miriam up to the mountain, though. God never entrusted Miriam with any responsibility in leading worship. She was never included in any leadership decisions that we are told of in Scripture. Her peaked condition causes her to arrogantly elevate her own importance. And may I say to you, there's no greater embarrassment than when you find out you're not as important as you think you are. Oh, it's happened to me many a time. It's a great humbling experience to learn, oh, I'm not that important. I mean, I'm always important to God, and that's wonderful. But many times in life, we can go beyond our boundaries and think we're something when we're nothing. Miriam could have benefited from sweet Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Yes, she is praying, and in the statement she is making, she is talking about those who have arrogantly spoken against her. And with Elkanah, she finally had a child. But here's what she says, and it's very important. I think it's worth noting in the context of Miriam. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 3, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let no arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Oh, what a good verse. What a wonderful, wonderful prayer from godly Hannah. Deliverance for Miriam comes from Moses' intercession, and we find finally this morning, Moses evaporates the problem. I needed an E, but it's a good one. And here's what I mean by that. I was out on Friday on the workday. I appreciate each of the ones that came up on Friday and Saturday to do work around the church and tidying up the place for the fall. 
But I was running the blower on the back. That's probably the only thing they trusted me to do was blow the dr- blow, uh, run the blower down the back of the driveway. But blowing the blower, from Thursday night's rain into Friday, there were clumps of leaves. And when you would blow them, there would be wet spots, dampness underneath. And it really kind of got me thinking exactly what we're preaching on on this. I didn't do anything other than give a little wind to it, a little, a little breath of fresh air, right, to blow those leaves along. And when they moved, there was a big wet spot. But you know, on Friday, it was a beautiful autumn day. The sun was out and that temperature of that asphalt was really hot. Do you know how long that damp circle stayed there? 30 seconds. Once that problem was removed, the dampness just evaporated, just went away. You know, Moses could have fought with Miriam. Who do you think you are, you big jerk? I'm going to tell mom and dad. They were long dead, but you know, you get the point. Who does that Christian brother think he is saying that about me? Who does that Christian sister think she is attacking me? God says, be still and know that I am God. Moses does not engage in the fight. Instead, he allows the light of God's glorious grace to intervene and take over. The only thing that he does is demonstrate the love that he has for Miriam by saying to God, heal her, I beg you. Please, God, I don't want to lose my sister. Do you know a lot of churches and a lot of problems in churches where someone has said something hurtful against you, they could be resolved if the one party that was offended just said, I forgive you. It's okay. I still love you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? That's what Moses shows us. It's not worth holding on to the hurt, by the way. His humility shown brightly. Verse 3 of Numbers 12 is a very accurate verse because we find that he speaks not an evil word against his sister. He just lets God demonstrate what he needs to demonstrate and then he intercedes to say, please heal her. I do love her. She's my sister. She, you know, in our case, we could say, it's my brother or my sister Lord, that needs help. You know, it's not hard when the unbelieving world attacks us. That's to be expected. We're told that the godly will suffer persecution. The difficulties, the real grief from people are the hurts and the harms that we have sometimes within the family of God. The difficulties come when believers or church members meaningful, uh, in a meaning way or a purposeful way or sometimes even in an ignorant and accidental way attack you. God's grace demonstrated through your life will evaporate the hurtful moments of this life. In closing, the church could do with a few less pusillanimous errands and peaked Miriam. See, you're going to go home today and you're going to win at Scrabble. But you're also going to remember this message. Because these are people that were close to Moses that hurt him. And all of us can think of somebody right now, you've probably got a person on mind. May I also say before we close in prayer, if you are struggling with one of these areas, maybe you are one that in your arrogancy and pride say, I want that, but it's not been given to me. Ask God to forgive you and patiently wait. Don't be Miriam. Maybe you're a weak Christian and you're just following the crowd. If I can be your Moses today, get it right with God. Father, help us as we turn our hearts in prayer.